We have finished chapter 8 of John's Gospel. However, far be it from me, just to move forward, we need to take a moment and review a little bit of what we just went through. Chapters 7 and 8 are interesting chapters. They should be taken together, not including the woman caught in adultery. They take place in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as Sukkah, which occurs beginning on the 15th of the month of Tishri, which is our late September to early October. It is probably the most, if not the most, one of the most important of the feast days and religious holidays of the Jewish people, ranking just after Passover in terms of importance. It was originally a harvest-type festival, a time to give thanks for the, for the good harvest and for the rains. As the Israelites became more and more of an urbanized people in certain areas, the, the rituals were adjusted over time. Uh, they had rituals in Jerusalem which regarded a, a procession from the Pool of Siloam down in the old city of David up to the Temple Mount, up, uh, up the hill in which they would bring water up and then they would process around the altar and then they would pour water on the ground to proclaim God's gift of water and the rains and you would pray for rain for the coming season so that in the following year's growing season you would have good harvests and there was rituals that they went through and by the time of Jesus the celebration of the feast was a highly ritualized event. Particularly important is some readings from Zechariah that are that are part now of the messianic expectation of the people. Um, in, in Zechariah 9 through 14, chapters 9 through 14, it describes the triumph of Yahweh. The messianic king comes to Jerusalem triumphant and riding on an ass. That's found in uh, 9 9. Yahweh pours out a spirit of compassion and supplication on Jerusalem. That's in, uh, in 12 10. He opens up a fountain for the house of David to cleanse Jerusalem. That's 13 1. Living waters. Living waters flow out from Jerusalem to the Mediterranean, which is symbolic of the world, and the Dead Sea. Um, That's in uh, 14.8. And finally, when all enemies are destroyed, people come up year after year to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles properly. And that's found in 14, verse 16. In this, and this, I'm reading here from uh, Raymond E. Brown, uh, the Anchor Bible Commentary on the Gospel According to John. He writes, In this ideal Feast of Tabernacles, everything in Jerusalem is holy, and there are no merchants in the temple. The reader will have noticed that the New Testament picks up many of these themes from Zechariah, and we mention and note in, in the note that Zechariah 14 is probably the background, not only for John 8:38, but also for Revelation 22. The messianic interest in tabernacles persisted into the later centuries of Judaism as well. A statement is associated with the fourth century rabbi Abba Bar Kana that the feast holds within itself the promise of the Messiah. And the pseudo-Messiah Bar Kokhba used symbols from the Feast of Tabernacles on his coins in the Second Jewish Revolt from 132 to 135. Tabernacles and Zechariah's proclamations about it 
all are part of the messianic expectation. The Messiah is to be understood as being associated with the Feast of Tabernacles. And so it is interesting to note how in John's Gospel here in chapters 7 and 8, this is an experience of Jesus coming to Jerusalem on the Feast of Tabernacles and standing up and speaking and identifying himself as the living waters. Boom, boom. Not only the living waters is part of the tabernacle imagery, but also the light, the true light. Is also, up. You're not supposed to stand up. Or there's also another, well, to speak. But the, the, the concept of I am the light of the world proclamation is also part of tabernacles. For in Zechariah, it talks about how there will be no night when the Messiah comes. In, in Zechariah, in its proclamation and acclamations of the Messiah, articulated within the context of the tabernacle rituals, the rituals of the Feast of Sukkoth. Um, John takes all of that, and you find elements of it echoed again and again and again in John chapter 7 and in John chapter 8. Um, it's really hard to miss where he identifies himself as being the, the water of, of life. Living waters will flow out from me. And what sounds in many cases like a, a, a rerun of the woman at the well in, in, in many ways, and yet it, he, he, he just articulates it straight out. Uh, in, in 737 and following, mm -hmm. on the last day of the festival, that's the festival of tabernacles, the great day while Jesus was standing there, he cries out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. He's, he's drawing a connection between himself and Zechariah's prophecy about uh, uh, the coming of, uh, of a messiah or messianic king or ruler that in, in many ways he himself, he's identifying himself with within the context of the very feast that Zechariah is talking about, the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and this, this feast had, had been discontinued since the destruction of the temple? Or it had been reestablished. In fact, it was the first feast in, that was celebrated in, in the temple after the, uh, after the reestablishment of the temple following the captivity in Babylon. And Sukkoth is celebrated today. But, but how about what John was writing after the first. And John was writing the Feast of the Booths or Tabernacles, the Feast of Sukkoth, would have been celebrated by the Jewish people. Now, they wouldn't do the rituals with regards to Jerusalem because they weren't there, but, uh, but they still had other things that they would do. They would set up their little booth outside their home and they would move into it for the feast. Uh, and they would follow the rituals that are and the, and the regulations that identified in Exodus as part of the Mosaic Covenant for celebrating it. So the traditions that we know from the Mishnah that would have been in, in, in place in Jesus' day were no longer being practiced because they couldn't do it there. But they were doing other things that were similar to it that you find actually in the Old Testament. But the imagery, the concept of living water, the concept of light, uh, these two powerful images, part of, of the Feast of Sukkoth, uh, you find Jesus using and adopting and incorporating into his own self-testimony. Remember, 
the front loading in John's gospel of all of these testimonies about Jesus. Now we have Jesus in six and in seven and in eight. It began with the woman at the well, but it's even, it just has grown and grown and grown. This self-testimony uh, becomes even more apparent uh, throughout especially seven and eight. Okay. John, John's audience were, were probably Christians for all. They were Christians. With the, with there were some Jewish Christians. Knowledge base, I guess. There I mean, were some Jewish Christians. Uh, there were more Gentile Christians who had, before they became Christians, may very well have been God-fearers, attendees of the synagogue, studiers of the Mosaic Covenant, the writings and the wisdom literatures, uh, they, they, they would have been versed to, to some extent in, in, the, in what we call or think of as the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, uh, in translation into Greek almost certainly. The, uh, there, would have been a, there would have been a segment of the population that, that in, there in, in Asia Minor that would have been diaspora Jews who had been expelled uh, or Jews of the general diaspora. They, they were already living out amongst the Greeks in Asia Minor and in Greece at the time of the destruction of the temple. But they would have been very well versed in, even though they were Hellenized Jews, they would have been very well versed in this kind of stuff. Well, so I, th I think probably the Christians of that era, whatever their source, were probably more, were better versed in Judaism than, than we are. Far now, better. Even though we're oh, yeah. Judeo-Christians. You know? Their only <laughs> scripture was actually the, the Septuagint of the Old Testament, the, the Greek translation. That was their Bible. The oral traditions about Jesus, the, some of the early literature, the letter, some of the early letters, they quickly gained prominence. But when, when scripture was spoken about during the first century, the first thing that came to their mind was not anything from what we now know of as the New Testament, but it came to their mind was the Old Testament, the, the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, the Septuagint. That's what they were talking about. And their, their source of authority, what they would go to for prophecies about Jesus is, is things like Zechariah, like Isaiah, like Jeremiah. Uh, and identification of the suffering servant with the Messiah, which was something that had never been done prior to Jesus, was suddenly done. And that that's an, that's an example of the growth of, of, of interpretation and development of messianic expectation within the Christian community. Even Gentiles who had had only a minimal contact with, with Judaism prior to their hearing about Jesus quickly learned much of this stuff because it was extremely important in the, in the root base of their understanding of who Jesus was. So for them, this is, they would read this in chapter 7 and chapter 8, and they would immediately know the, many of the connections. It would be obvious to them. Obvious. Okay. Um, so we went all the way through chapter 8. We heard all of these affirmations of Jesus, these discourses here in which he, he has these I am statements that are so extremely powerful throughout uh, throughout Jesus' self-proclamation. I am the light of the world in verse 12 of chapter 8. Um, in over here, um, I told you that you would die in your sins, that you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am. Uh, uh, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will realize that I am, that he is added by translators. 
and that I do nothing on my own, but I speak these things as the Father instructed me. And then down here, if you go towards the end of chapter 8, picking up in verse uh, 55, Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? The prophets also died. Who do you claim to be? And Jesus answered, I glorify myself. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, he of whom you say he is our God, though you do not know him. I mean, it's just wham, wham. Oh, yeah. Is this where he's using, and the I am is Yahweh? Yeah, exactly. So he's not only wham, wham, with wham, content, he's Wham, really wham, and bang. bang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he, uh, though you do not know him, but I know him. If I would say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. <laughs> but I, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, this is not. <laughs> I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said, said, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, you immediately say, that's bad English. Before Abraham was, I was. My, or I was before Abraham would be better English, but that's not what it says. It's more than simply an affirmation that, I, that Jesus saying, I existed before Abraham existed. Is that before Abraham existed, I am God. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Yahweh. I mean, uh-huh. They're going to hate that. Exactly. <laughs> Look at verse 59. Word. You can't use that word. So they picked up stones yeah. to throw yeah. at him. I mean, in, in truth, if you see the movie The Life of Brian, and they're at the very beginning of the film, they are after the birth of Jesus and Brian, you, they have a scene where they're, they're, going, to, they're going to the stoning. Why are they going to stone this guy? Because he said Jehovah. Well, we all know that it's not it's Yahweh that he said. And oh, and goodness. and they were going to have a stoning of the guy. And all these women with fake beards are gathered around with these stones. They're going to throw them at him because he says, "I all I said with this piece of halibut was good enough for Jehovah." <laughs> and he says, "You're only making it worse for yourself." And he goes, "How can it be any worse?" <laughs> yeah. And he says, uh, "No one throw a stone." unless I blow this whistle. I don't want to make this perfectly clear, even if they do say Jehovah, and then they stone the, the temple guards. <laughs> it's a hilarious scene, but it catches the reality that to say Yahweh, even if you're simply saying the to-be verb that is closest to the meaning of the name, which sounds the same, to use that word is, is, is the no-no. You know, we have seven words you can't say on television. You've got one word you can't say in Hebrew. I'm, I'm serious. And, and this illustrates it. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, which is just a, an interesting yeah. question begging. Mm-hmm. How did he hide? You know, cloak of invisibility, <laughs> a cloaking device, uh, something to, to somehow he just disappears. He hid himself. 
Now you see me, now you don't. And then he just leaves the temple. Hmm. Now we're in chapter 9. That's enough review. Now we're in chapter 9. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. Doesn't say how he knew he was blind from birth. Simply he's a man blind from birth. Uh His disciples, what, what, what? (laughs) His disciples, huh? Who? His disciples. Now, have, have we seen, when was the last time we saw any disciples? Chapter 6. It's been a long time. time. They weren't in chapter 8. They weren't in chapter Mm -hmm. 7. At the beginning of chapter 7, you have his brother saying, you need to go down to Jerusalem. And he doesn't. He says, I'm not going to go because it's not my time yet. And then he goes. He doesn't have disciples with him. They deserve him. They're Last living. time we heard of them in chapter 6, they deserved it. This is a hard other. saying, and, and, and then he's not there. And it, it, it's, it's, it's weird. Uh, there's, no, there's no reference to them at all, and then suddenly they're here. Now, the question exists, is this the 12? Or is this just some of the disciples that he's been picking up in Jerusalem on this latest trip during Tabernacles? It doesn't say the 12 here yet. But it says, Rabbi, his disciples, just in general, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Which, of course, reflects this general attitude that if you've been born blind, then there must be some reason somebody sinned. Either you or your parents sinned for you to be born blind. Jesus' answer is, neither this man nor his parents sinned. That's good. Thank goodness. Oops. Uh-oh. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. Ooh, Ooh I don't so think close. I like that. That sounds Calvinistic to me. You think? <laughs> I mean, I could fix this easy, and I got my pen here. I could fix this either. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Okay, that, I agree with that. That's good. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. I don't like that. Uh, He was born blind, and now God's works will be revealed in him. Or or maybe. He was born blind, and now God will use this opportunity to reveal God's works in him. I mean, I can fix this, Jesus. Come on, John. I can fix this for you. I can give you good theology here. That's not what it says. I mean, you might even say that the intent is more that direction, but that's not what it literally says. He was born blind so that, in order that, God's works might be revealed in him. Well, you know, he went through being blind for the, his life up till now for the specific reason that God's glory, God's works might be revealed in him. And, you know, that's not necessarily, I mean, it's a bad experience, but the end result's going to be great. Uh, it's not all that different from saying that Judas was born in order to portray Jesus. I mean, his job, his I mean, presence the whole, in the story. The whole is, thing is kind of preordained. I mean, of it, course. It, 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 was, it started way back when, and it happened way back when, and it's just 
happening before now. Abraham yeah. was, yeah. I am. I mean, Forever. Yeah. I mean, you're, it, it, the whole concept of him being born for the purpose of revealing God's works is, is, not, a, is not a problem to John. Well, it makes him one heck of a witness. It sure does. But, you know, we like here in the nice 21st century, we like to say, but is that fair? Well, that didn't have anything to do with the whole question is foreign to that this. That isn't about fair. <laughs> uh -oh. Sometimes. I can fix that, though. I mean, he was born blind, and therefore God's mighty work, God's works will be revealed in him. I mean, I can fix yeah. it. Mm -hmm. I'm tempted. I guess the Greek doesn't say that. The, the Greek, Greek, says the Greek order. The, this is a good, in order that, yeah, literally. You, you can't get around it in the Greek. It's straightforward. But I can certainly twist it and interpret it the way I want. I mean, you're really good at that. I'm thinking about all those blind people that were born. No, it doesn't say that, that it, you know, it doesn't say that everybody who's born blind is born blind in order that, that right, God's right. works might be it revealed. It, it's simply him. But that's the way that is interpreted. Uh, Sometimes it is. I mean, everything bad is that happens is is for some good end or some some divine end yeah. that we can't. Perceive. Okay, now that's the Calvinist way of saying. Yes, it is. <laughs> A good Arminian would say God takes those bad things and uses them. <laughs> Not necessarily causes the bad things, but moves into all things and. And uses it then for a good. An Armenian like maybe Wesley. That's a John. Probably. That's a John yeah, Wesleyanism yeah. right there. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah, not not denying Steered the bad, John, baby. not denying the bad, but saying <laughs> right. that God can and does work and move even in things. But like he didn't this. cause the bad. John Wesley would never say he caused the bad so that we could well, he could make it good. It comes pretty close. He comes close, but he doesn't actually say that God works sin and evil or God creates evil. Right. Um, yes. he, he would say that God uses bad things to then work his good, then, which could be an interpretation of this, but because it doesn't say God made him right. born blind. I mean, I'll do a good John Wesley on you. It doesn't say... God had uh, caused him to be born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. It doesn't say that. Oh, sure it does. That's how yeah. it's interpreted, but it actually doesn't say but that. this happened? It says he was born blind. That's right. Well, why was he born blind? Well, in this, order that. In order that, well. That means that's in causative. Yeah, that's somewhat <laughs> causative, in order that. But this happened is real causative, and it doesn't say this happened because God willed it. Right before that, the so or in the order, it said, but this happened, like it just happened. Doesn't say who, doesn't give it to anybody. Else. I think that the, the, in true honesty, <laughs> I think that the weight is yeah. on the idea that, that he was born this way so that God's works might be revealed in him. Now, whether or not it's, when, 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 the, when the baby was in gestation, God said, okay, let's, Let's, let's make him blind. Uh, no. oxygen, I'm not so sure that that was the way of thinking back then. That would be our way of thinking. I don't, I, I don't, I don't see it that way. I, they, they, they have a more holistic view of the whole process. They don't see God as divorced from anything. And I, and I think it's a, probably a pretty good point that it doesn't say that every person who's born blind or suffering right. is set up by God to... Yeah, that's true too. Creative. Actually, the man born blind is a metaphor for all of us. 
we're all born blind, mm -hmm. spiritually. And that's kind of what you're going to see as you read through it. That's how John actually interprets it. Uh -huh. Also, I'll say up front that there's pretty good reasons to suspect that this particular miracle story is a very early one. The story itself is part of that initial layer that goes back quite a ways to equal with, if not before, Mark. Part of that Johannine layer. Uh, and and we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment, how you can tell that. Um, well, I wish you'd given us a chance to catch this. I mean, well, you'll get, you'll we catch like we're you'll catch it. You'll catch it. You'll catch it. No, you'll see. And, there, and I'm not going to tell you that. If hadn't caught it, it would have been embarrassing. Yes, exactly. Uh, nah. <laughs> I, I'm not going to, I won't tell you some of the other stuff because you'll catch that for sure too, but we'll, we'll keep going. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. Night is coming when no one can work. Now that air has like a bunch, a bunch of different interpretations yes, and that's yeah. one of them. That's when one of dies. them. Jesus' death it's is coming. It's still day while he's alive. Right. His death is coming. As long as I am in the world, mm -hmm, there you go, five, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So here's that reference again. Now there have been people who have said that chapter nine is sort of, um, it's really non-chronological. It, 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 it doesn't fit with the preceding chapters because you got the disciples here. Mm -hmm. But it does take place in Jerusalem and you have this connection with what he says earlier, and you're gonna have other connections with what he says earlier. So actually, even it belongs. Uh, in fact, in some ways, you could say that all of the discourses in chapters eight and seven are leading up to this, are being used to set the stage to then understand and interpret this story. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud and made mud with his saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes. A mud pack. Saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. Um, wow, that's the miracle. I mean, the miracle of the man born blind, that's it. There's a heck of a lot to go in the chapter, but that's it. Jesus spits on the ground, takes some of the dirt, makes a mud pack out of it, puts it on the man's eyes. He says, go and wash. He goes and washes in the Pool of Siloam, which, is, which by the way is very important for the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem because that's where they would go to get the water for the ritual at the temple. That's <laughs> not a good place to... Well... <laughs> I can see why the water is important, but I wouldn't want to drink it after that if the guy's well, 
Wash his muddy spit off in the water. Yeah, but it's Jesus' spit. Okay. <laughs> and it's miraculous mud. Yes, it's, miraculous. <laughs> it's that living water thing again, right? Jeez. Yes. Yeah, well, let's hope he doesn't get to other sources of water. Jeez, <laughs> 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 amazing. Thank you, Pete. Uh, but, but that's probably the reason they think it's early, because it's kind of weird. They, it's I mean, weird. In the it's, Gospels, Jesus just... The later miracles tend to be a little more elaborate. Mm -hmm. The later miracle stories tend to be a little more elaborate, a little more focusing in on the miracle itself. Mm -hmm. This, it's two verses and it's done. It's what comes later that's more important. In the dialogues back and forth with the people and with the, with the Pharisees and, and, and then finally with Jesus, which is what we'll see in a moment. So, so yeah, you're exactly right. The reason why it is interpreted as being, this healing is interpreted as being part of that very early layer is its simplicity and its weirdness. <laughs> the use of mud. Now, Jesus has healed other people in the, in the synoptics. He healed others by spitting. I mean, that, uh, there's a fabulous list in this, uh, in here. Called the spitting miracles, oddly enough. Well, <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, <laughs> but there's a fabulous, so let's see if I can find that here. Healing of Bartimaeus, uh, who sat and begged near Jericho as Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, that's the healing of, of a blind man there. Uh, two, two blind men in Galilee, a doublet, uh, a blind mute in Galilee, uh, in Capernaum. Um, these all involve spit. These are all these are all healings of blind men. I'm getting to the one about spit. Here it is: a blind man healed in stages with the use of spit at Bethsaida. That's found in Mark eight twenty two and twenty six. Uh -huh. In similar circumstances, in Matthew fifteen verse thirty, gives a summary which mentions the healing of the blind. And in Jerusalem, in a summary connected with the cleansing of the temple, Jesus is said to have healed the blind. And that's in Matthew 21, verse 14. But in, back up in Mark, at Bethsaida, you have the healing of a blind man using spit. Now, apart from that, it, it's a blind man using spit. Everything else is unique. There are similarities to what happened at the Pool of Bethesda, which we'll see in a moment, but, but that's also in John. But apart from that, this is, a, is very unique. The utilization of the mud is, is unique. And, it's, and that's actually going to be very important in, in just a moment. So let, 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 let's, let's keep going. In fact, I'm going to read the healing again. When he had said this, verse 6, when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. So it wasn't the application of the mud. Jesus didn't say, Abracadabra, you're healed, and, and, and he could see. He had to wash first. He had to go wash. He had to obey what Jesus said to do. The neighbors, and, and think about that for just a moment, that the going and washing becomes an act of faith, obeying, that's an aspect of faith. 
the application of the mud can be understood as a as kind of God's grace. The washing can be understood in a baptismal sense. And in fact, this healing has been connected with baptism since Justin Martyr. And you find there are some of the earliest drawings of this particular healing that are, that are known to exist both in churches and in catacombs uh, all depict this in direct connection with baptism. Hmm. Hmm. Well, don't, don't pick up on, on this. Your, your sprinkling is radical enough. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be doing that on Sunday. <laughs> you haven't washed the dirt away, you said. Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sin. <laughs> then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, Nah, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. <laughs> now how would he write how would John write that? Now, I was asking the question. Elegon Uxi Allah. Oimios auta esten, ekenos elegan, hate ego emi. So he does say that, hate ego emi. Uh, in, in Greek, he says exactly what Jesus says when he says, I am ego emi. Mm -hmm. But in Aramaic, it would not have come out that way in the original version if you'd go, you could go back to the oral tradition of the story in Aramaic. The articulation would not have come out Yahweh. It would have come out differently. He would have said it a different way. But that, I had this exact same question when I read that. Mm -hmm. But in Greek, it's ego hey me, which means I am mm -hmm. is the or I am that one literally. Um, but uh, but they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus. The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me. Go to Siloam and wash. And then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. Hmm. Hear the similarity with the, the healing of the paralytic? There is a similarity there. Where is he? I don't know. Yeah, but this guy couldn't see, so we can understand that better. Well, well, Where is he? he knows know. he knows who it is. He's the man called Jesus who put mud on my eyes, but I don't know where he is now. I wasn't looking for him. I was <laughs> going for the water. <laughs> going for the water to wash him. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been had formerly been blind. <laughs> Another remembrance to the to the to the life of Brian. <laughs> In the life of Brian, they're going into the city and. And Brian is, and there's a guy sitting there who goes, alms for an ex-leper, alms for an ex-leper. And he says, ex-leper? What does that mean? He says, I was just sitting here. I'm a leper. I'm going about my trade. And here comes Jesus, and he touches me. And he says, you're healed, and I'm healed. And, and he doesn't even ask me if I want to be healed. And now I don't have any way of earning money. Alms for an ex-leper. Alms for an ex-blind man. Uh, now they brought the, to the Pharisee the man who had formerly been blind. <laughs> the ex-blind man. Now it was a Sabbath day. Oh no, Jesus! Can't you look at the calendar? Excellent time. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Not only did he heal, he had to make mud. 
Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? So the Pharisees, it's interesting. The Pharisees, which are usually considered as a negative group, they're kind of split here. Some say, oh, he's a sinner. He, he, he does these things on the Sabbath day. That's just wrong. How can a man who's a sinner do such marvelous things? I think not so sure about this now. Uh, and they were divided, verse 17. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And he said, he is a prophet. Hmm. From, I, I don't know where he is. His name is Jesus. He's called Jesus. I don't know where he is now. To now, well, he's a prophet. The Jews. Yeah, remember? The Jews. The Jews. <laughs> the, the bad guys. They're all the gathering. They're all coming in. You can see them all. That's right. As if the blind man isn't a Jew, as if Jesus isn't a Jew. I mean, it's the Jews. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that now he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Asked him, ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. Now, it's obvious his parents are still alive and they have to say he is of age. Yeah, it's obvious that this fellow isn't all that old. Uh, in, in, in so many depictions of the man born blind in movies, uh, like the greatest story ever told, it's an old man who was blind. I was blind, but now I see. Well, no, they don't read their Bible very closely. It's obviously a younger fellow. His parents are alive and they have to say he's of age. Obviously, I don't want to answer the question. I mean, well, yeah, he was born blind, but we don't know how. Verse 22, look at this. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. The Jews. They themselves are Jews, but no, it's the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. That's interesting. That betrays something. That's a status or a condition that wasn't present at the time of the events being described in the days of Jesus. It wasn't present 20 years later. Paul was going into synagogues and preaching about Jesus and wasn't thrown out. Very often he left of his own accord to start a house church somewhere. The, 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 the apostles were going into the temple and into the synagogues. They didn't have any trouble being around other Jews. The expulsion from the synagogues did not happen to people who were Jesus folk until after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. 
sometime in the 70s and 80s, it's definitely true by the 90s, we have reference to it in Matthew's gospel. Uh, we have reference to it here. This betrays the, situ the situation that was in existence in the 90s and 10 to 15 years earlier, but wasn't true in the 50s, wasn't true probably even in the 60s, didn't really become necessary to expel the Jesus folk until after the destruction of the Second Temple, 70s, 80s, and 90s. So this is like extreme layering, right, after that early, early, earliest story. Well, the, the answer, the interpretation for why they didn't give a response is given this twist. Uh -huh. It's a much later year, layer yeah, than it's slapped Half a century in. later, almost. Well, and it seems to me that this, this whole paragraph about the Pharisees is kind of from a different story, you know, because the, all of a sudden we find out that all this is happening on the Sabbath, you know, there's, it could have been the seven and eight were happening on the Sabbath if you read it, you know, yep. and, and also by this time why the, the Pharisees were probably not the issue for the, for the Christians like they were in Matthew's time. See, exactly, it, it's very similar, again this is, has some similarities to, to the healing of the paralytic. Uh, at the pools of Bethesda. There's some very similar, strong similarities here. The multiple layers of interpretation where later conflicts with the Jews <laughs> get slapped onto earlier events. And those earlier events are interpreted in the light of the conflict with the Jews. We saw it rife in Matthew, and we thought Matthew was bad, even though it's the most Jewish of all the Gospels. It, 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 in terms of its audience, its audience was to Jewish Christians, almost exclusively. People who were deeply versed in the Jewish scriptures. People who, many of whom had grown up Jews, uh, fully Jews, not Jesus people at all, or in families that were that way. Um, and they were challenging the Pharisees for the control of the synagogues. Synagogue. Exactly. In that post-70 AD war within the community, what's going to happen to Judaism? How's Judaism going to survive without the temple? Well, we have the synagogues. Who's going to control them? And eventually it became the Pharisees who won, and so the people who were thrown out had this negative view looking back. And we see that in Matthew heavily. Uh, events that only have some conflict with Jewish leadership, Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, in Mark have outright uh, hostile viciousness in Matthew. Well, it happens here in John too. This the Jews terminology, which is actually worse than the Pharisees terminology, is in, in John. It, we see that attitude still definitely present. Um, and this is removed from places like Damascus or Antioch where Matthew was written. We're talking further into Gentile territory. Nevertheless, that attitude still existed. Well, because many of these people had been parts of synagogues at, in the diaspora areas in Ephesus and in other regions of, of Asia Minor and they themselves had been tossed out. I, I still think that's a strong factor. Yeah, the, the battle was over. They'd lost. They'd lost and they were out. And now they're looking back and it says the Jews. Even though many of them were probably 50 to 100% Jewish themselves in terms of genetics, in terms of blood. But they were Christians now. 
and they were Christians being oppressed by the Roman authorities because they were refusing to worship the emperor. While they were Jews, they had the Jewish exemption. Mm -hmm. The Jews got exempted from that requirement. They had to pay double tax, but they didn't have to pay, make sacrifice to the emperor to prove their loyalty to the empire. So long as the Christians could be covered under that umbrella, they were safe. But any time they got knocked out from underneath that umbrella, they suddenly came under the thumb of the government and they said, well, why aren't you sacrificing to the emperor? You know, you're not, you're, you're not paying your temple tax. You're not doing what you're supposed to. You're a Gentile. You're not, you don't have the Jewish exemption. Well, we're Christians. Well, too bad. You're not a Jew. And, and that's exactly what was going on. Hence, you have the persecutions under Diocletian. Hence, you have these letters going from Pliny the Younger saying, what am I supposed to do with these Christians who refuse to worship the emperor? And the emperor's response is, well, I mean, you know, if they recant, then you let them live. And if they don't recant, you feed them to lions, essentially. Um, that's the, that's, that was the result of being thrown out of the synagogue, which is another reason why these people were pissed <laughs> at, the, at the Jews. And you see that here. And you see it here in verse 22 and 23. You see this, this backward casting of that circumstance, that situation, back to this time. This is anachronistic. But it reflects the community that was hearing it, their own experience of it. They could understand why the parents of the man born blind would be nervous about giving a straight answer here because they're afraid of getting thrown out of the synagogue just like we are. All right, or like we were. So, verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind. And they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Okay, we'll accept that you've been healed and that's God's doing. But we can't let Jesus have any part of that. So the, Jesus is a sinner, so you should give glory to God. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They, they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's <yeah>. brilliant. <laughs> then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, you are, and you are trying to teach us? 
and they drove him out. So he goes from calling, saying, the man called Jesus, and I don't know where he is, did this, to he is a prophet, to making this statement, I don't know if he was a sinner, but I think it's pretty obvious that he does God's works, and God listens to him. You know, this sounds that the whole every time I read it, it's just got the tenor. It's got. It sounds like Jesus. It should be in red because Jesus is self-affirming here. Through this is the God man self-affirming. Jesus. Jesus's act for the blind man is a work. It's one of them works. Right. It's clearly that. And you have this man then affirming Jesus in growing degrees of faith. He's growing here. From having just experienced it to a stronger understanding of him as a prophet to an even stronger understanding of him as doing the works of God, God listens to him. If this man were not from God, he's from God. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Since he healed me and he did it, he's from God. That sounds like the same logic he was using, Jesus was using in these other chapters. I mean, just like, it's got the same... It's a little less, it's a little less circular because you can point to the, mir the miracle as the reason right. for this guy the believing. The words, like you said. The words point to it. And then he has this growing development of greater and greater degrees of affirmation. We're going to get to even bigger one in just a moment. And this, this is why somebody said the, it's sort of standing in for the Christian community or for all of us because he's... And by golly, they even drove him out. They even That's drove right. him That's out. Exactly. Yeah. They even drive him out just like the Christian community in John's day had been driven out of the synagogue. In, in, in John, the author. But I, I haven't heard you say it. I think it might be super important. You probably figured we got it. But maybe, maybe I'm getting something that I'm not supposed to. But it, did, it also happened in Gradations of Miracle. Oh. In other words, you didn't go, you're no, healed. The miracle. You had to have faith. He had to fade mm -hmm. to make it happen. Just it's like, like the mud application is grace. That's great. The washing is his act of faith. And there the miracle has occurred once he is obeyed. It's this process, exactly. it's receiving, it's obeying, process. and it's there. Um, that's a dynamic event that occurs in a bunch of Jesus' miracles. It, it really does. If not the person's faith who's healed, the faith of those who carry the guy in on the mat, remember? You know, either through the thatch roof or through the shingled roof, depending on which gospel you're reading. Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, other ancient authorities read the Son of God here, but their uh, lesser attribution. The Son of Man is probably the earliest attribution here. Now, this is a messianic term. Generally, Son of Man simply means, do you believe in the human being? But... In Messianic expectation, the Son of Man took on a somewhat, somewhat more spiritualized understanding. Kind of like in Paul, the second Adam. In Paul's writings in Romans, he talks about the first Adam and the second Adam. Remember, Adam is the Hebrew word for human being or earth creature, earthling. Well, then you have the second Adam. 
which is kind of like, which is Jesus. It's that son of man idea. Yes, it's, it's the general, it's the Hebrew idiom for human being, son of man, but it also has in messianic expectation uh, an elevated understanding as the, the Adam who won't stumble in sin, like, unlike the first Adam who did. And you see that in Paul's writings in the 50s in, in the letter to the Romans. You see that idea. Is there anything like the capitalization we use to make it sound no. like no? No, it's, no, it's, that, 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 that's, that's translational interpretation by the translators. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Now, that, the use of sir there is a translational, and that's reflected in a little note in my translation, which says, sir, the Lord translated the same Greek word. It's kurios. Who is he, kurios, which means sir in general usage. In religious usage means Lord. Notice how the translator of the NRSV handles this. He answered, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, same word is used as earlier, but my translation now it uses Lord. Yeah, I gotcha. That's mm -hmm. a translational issue. Mm -hmm. Not, not the, the Greek is kurios in both locations. But the impact is slightly different. Here we get to see the translation from a term of respect to an affirmation of identity. He said, Lord, I believe. 38. Let's see. 38. I faith, Lord. Literally. Um, I thought he had the faith before. This would have never happened. He had faith. He had faith that the miracle would occur if he did it. Now he believes that Jesus is the Son of Man in its messianic expectation nature. He is the one sent from God. We've already seen that. This man, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now he's talking with Jesus directly, and. You know, it could very well be that he doesn't realize this is Jesus because he's never seen him. He only knew who he was. He'd been right. told about him. But remember, mm -hmm. I don't know where he is, and it says nothing that he's seen Jesus. Now he, he's never seen Jesus before. Jesus uh, comes back and finds him. Now he finds him. Jesus heard that the man had driven, they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He doesn't say, Hi, my name's Jesus. <laughs> So his response is, um, and who is he, sir? Tell me that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and the one speaking with you Literally, is he. Literally, he'd never seen him because yeah. he wasn't Literally, there. His yeah. eyes were open. His eyes couldn't see. He was well, blind. But you know, I went back to the beginning, and when we read this back here where he made the blind, he never said, I'm going to cure your blindness. No, 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 not at all. I mean, um, so, so... What the, the faith that man, the man has is in what? Let's read it. And, and when he had said this, he talks about the works he's going to do. Neither this man sinned nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. And he's talking to his disciples. So. Yeah, but the man's probably overhearing it, sitting right there. Right. Yeah. And, and then he says, we, uh, we must work the works of him who sent me 
while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He's getting ready to open this guy's eyes so that he can see. I am the light of the world. I am going to be his light now. So apparently the guy sitting here realizes when the mud gets put on his eyes that, uh, that this is going to be an event. And then he tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Doesn't say, and you will be healed. Simply go and wash. I gather that the guy sitting there heard this little exchange right. between him and his disciples, understands that I'm going to get healed here, even though he's never told that. And he, he knows it's Jesus yeah. somehow or other because he identifies him. By yeah, he knows that this is Jesus. He maybe heard his disciples when they said rabbi, maybe they said, you know, Rabbi Yeshua or something like that. Mm -hmm. So he knows, and he knows that this is, oh, by the way, there comes Yeshua over there. You know, he's. He's, he just got done preaching over there in the in the temple and causing a big stink, and here, <laughs> you, know, you know, he does miracles. You know, <laughs> he healed a guy over at the pools of Bethesda on the other side of the temple mount the other day or the other month. <laughs> well, I want to get to the next sentence here. Is okay, that, yeah. has that happened a lot? And he worshipped him. Has that happened? A lot of people have been doing that up to now. Nope. Nope. The closest you get is you know back at the for close to the very beginning with some of those early affirmations from some of the disciples like Andrew like Peter um, because I mean you, worshiping the Messiah worshiping and human worshiping, worshiping and being not, a human being you just don't not, do it mm -hmm. you just don't do that especially in the Roman territory well especially in Judaism where you only worship Yahweh well, Jesus has been calling himself Yahweh, so. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's interesting to me that it, that's the one time he didn't do it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's the one I was expecting for another I am statement right there. And he doesn't give you an I am statement, no, does he? No, he does not. At least, at least not here. You know, again, we're dealing with this Greek translation. There, there are elements of this whole story that were probably circulating in the Aramaic oral. And this exchange could very, it's very similar to the to other exchanges. It's very similar to the exchange where Jesus seeks out someone that he's healed when he's worshiping in the temple, remember? And he says, don't don't go and sin again. Remember <laughs> the, par the paralytic? And he says, don't go and sin again. Remember that fine oh, yeah. in the temple? Well, this is a very similar to that, except, except far beyond it. But it's the same kind of encounter again. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not... Now, here you go. This is what I... Well, this is the universal portion here. This is what pins it down, although you should already have had it. I come into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who do see may become blind. Huh? I can get the part about yeah. those who do not see may see, but and those who do see may become blind. The ones that don't see who he is, they can see physically. The one, yeah, the ones who think they have right. spiritual yeah. sight discover they really don't. Right. I mean, that's right. how I might might try to interpret he almost that. says that in that next well he does paper. I mean. which is why I, I like to yeah. try to try to interpret it that way some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him surely we are not blind are we and Jesus said to them if you were blind 
you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. You know, if you were truly spiritually blind, you, you, you couldn't be blamed for being a sinner. But you claim to see spiritually. Therefore, sorry, <laughs> you can't have your cake and eat it too. You're, you're, you're in your sins. If you claim to have spiritual sight, then you need to recognize your sin. Now, it's a hard one, isn't it? It's hard to make sense out of that. Anyway, I think. I'm sorry? It's, to me, it's hard to make sense out of this whole 39 on, you know. I've come into the world so that those who do not see may see. Okay, I can buy that. But those who do see may become blind. Now, that's, that's the hard part. Yeah. What does that mean? That those who do see become blind. And if you were blind, you would the, not have sin. The Pharisees believe that they got all the answers. That's, that's correct. And they, they've got nothing. Well, they, they're rejecting. That, the, the, I think what, he's, what he goes on. They're to truly blind. To he rejects the, they're rejecting the gift. Yeah. If you reject the gift, you're blind. You claim to have spiritual sight. Remember what he said to Nicodemus? You're, you're a teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things. You claim to have spiritual sight. Now, if you were truly blind, I mean, if you recognized that you were blind, then you couldn't be held guilty of your sins because you're spiritually blind. But you claim to have spiritual sight. Therefore, your sins are held against you. Your failure to recognize who I am. This is the circular part. Recognize who I am is going to be held against you. Now, if you go back up to that early... Who are the blind? The blind here are the Pharisees. No, they become no, no blind. because it says the blind they become don't have blind. sin. Right He's saying if you're blind, blind, I can help you. If you can see, I can't help you. If you are truly, if you are like the man yeah. born blind, truly blind, I mean, not, not physically, spiritually truly blind, then I can open your eyes and, and, and you can see. And you wouldn't have sin. Until I'm here for the blind is what he's saying, and they're going to not have sin because those who think they have sight yeah. don't. Well, you've heard the thing you can't see the forest for the tree. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. that's pretty they much. They can't the same see thing. Jesus for the stuff they can see. No, I can understand that. Probably. For their expectations. Yes. So yeah. they need to be blind to their expectations. Yeah, there you go. That's what he's doing. So he's got to make them blind to the wrong thing. If saying. you're blind in a sense, you're innocent. Once your eyes are opened, if you refuse and fail to see Jesus for who and what he is, then you're stuck in your sins. And if you think you can Rejecting see you. and you don't see Jesus and for who and what he is, then you're in your sins. You're stuck in your sins. And you're truly blind. That's, and that's kind of what he means by the second half of that sentence where he says, I came into the world for judgment so that those who do not see may see. I mean, they're spiritually blind. I'm going to open their eyes. They've been born spiritually blind. I'm going to complete them. And those who do see may become blind. Those who, who think of themselves as having spiritual insight, they really and truly are as blind as can possibly be. See, we can go back to that first part in it where he says this, he was born this way so that God's works can be revealed. He was born revealed, blind. So we're all born blind so that God's mm -hmm. works. Here is the universal metaphor. 
We are all born blind in reality. Some and of us are okay. <laughs> well, if you recognize your inadequacy in that, and that you know you're not trying to pretend that you can see, like the Pharisees and the Jews, pretend that they can see, but they don't really see Yahweh. They don't really see Jesus. They are actually stuck in their sins then, because they pretend to see, right. and they really can't. They don't really know Yahweh. But if you're willing to say, look, I'm I'm a failure, I'm blind, I don't know. The man born blind, he's sitting there, I'm blind, I can't see a blooming thing. Then notice what Jesus does. And think think about this with just for a moment here. God made the first earthling, the first Adam, out of the dust of the earth. He fashioned in the story in Genesis chapter 2 and following, he fashions the earth creature out of the dust of the earth. The word is Adami, and he makes Adam from Adami. He makes the earth creature from the dust of the earth. And here we have Jesus taking a little bit of that dust of the earth, mixing it with himself, Living water. and then completing the earth creature Sweet. with a little bit of that dust. Sweet. Yeah. Now, Augustine took that and just went hog wild with that one. Um, and taking it all the way through baptismal yeah. imagery and all. Even Justin Martyr, way back in the second century, saw this as Jesus completing the man born blind. Jesus completes us all and gives us true, if we respond to the gift with faith, gives us true spiritual sight. What's important here, and this has been true for 1800 years of interpretation on this that we know of, what's important here, even to the author of John, is not the miracle so much as it is what the miracle tells us about ourselves, the spiritual aspect, the metaphor that is generated here, that John himself identifies in Jesus' own words towards the end. It's a very powerful, chapter 9 ends up being extraordinarily powerful. If we're taking so many of the themes from chapters 8 and 7 and even 6 and incorporating them into what Jesus does for the man born blind, what Jesus does for us all, according to John's interpretation of it, and then the response with the people, they argue about that. Then the Pharisees, and they're divided about that. The Jews are refusing to accept it at all and end up throwing him out. And that connects then, and you get your connection between the man born blind to stand in for everybody and the people who are orig- originally reading this and the first audience who are saying, we got thrown out too by the Jews. Jesus opened our eyes and we got thrown out. But what I like, I think you can make a lot of validity, and I think what bothered some of us is that if you never, and this is that uh, validity for the statement of John, that if you, if you never received the word, uh-huh. then you didn't sin. But uh, guess what? You did receive, we already received the word. Adam received knowledge in the Garden of Eden. Guess what? You know, what yeah. happened? You, it, so you got to fade after that. The instant you try to justify your own situation is the instant you're in trouble. Yes, no. <laughs> oh, had I just not had the knowledge, I would be so. Oh, to be to be in such innocence and yes. to not know. 
But the instance you can say that is the instance you're in trouble. That's right. You already did it. Because you, you then have a degree of insight. You have a degree you of sight. And you may lie to yourself, but, but you're just lying to yourself. And in so doing, you're, you're, you, you are not innocently blind. You simply are. And you're in trouble. You're in trouble. It's differentiated between the blind who, who got the, saw the light and the people who won't admit that they're blind. <laughs> yes. Uh, you got who, it. The people who have fooled themselves into thinking they can see, but they really can't. And those people who have fooled themselves into thinking they can see and they really can't are in really deep doo-doo because now they have to own up to their sin of of not seeing when they should. But he did give some credence to the Pharisees who were, you know. That is interesting. And I didn't catch that until we're reading it through here. Where when he comes before the Pharisees, who are usually the really bad guys, (laughs) some of the Pharisees did think that that how you know how can this man be a sinner and do these things? So so they're divided over the issue. That's actually throwing a bone. To the Pharisees, yeah, give them a shot. Like, Gives them a shot. You could, shot. You could read the whole thing and just take out thirteen to seventeen, and it would make perfect sense. <laughs> oh yeah, sure, you could easily. It, it's like, for some reason, that this story was hanging around about Pharisees and the Sabbath, and they thought, well, this is a good place anyway, stick it in here. You know, the Sabbath doesn't have much to do with this whole story. No, either. it doesn't. The healing on the Sabbath is tangential. It just ups the ante on why the Jews would be opposed to him. Mm-hmm. That's really what it does. This also should remind us that even though it does seem to have a chronological connection, and I say chronological connection with chapters 7 and 8, in fact, it has a thematic connection with 7 and 8, not so much a chronological connection. Remember, John's not really interested in chronology. He's interested in theme. He's interested in proclamation. He's interested in witness and testimony. Not so much in chronology. There is a there is the semblance of a chronology, but it's not really there. That's not important. Hence, all this stuff gets front loaded before now, and now this, with the, there being disciples where there had been no disciples. listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2011 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.